Welcome to the Eric Metaxas Show. Folks, welcome to Hour 2. At least it's Hour 2 as far as I'm concerned because it comes right after Hour 1. And if you think about it logically, that would be Hour 2. Um, now, look, uh, I told you I'd bring things down a notch. Uh, it was kind of crazy in Hour 1. So we just wanted to talk to our calm, uh, irenic friend, John Zmirak. John, welcome. Thanks, Eric. You know, the times have grown so insane that I'm now a moderate. I haven't changed, but yeah. the has gone so insane that by comparison, I'm a voice of reason. You're starting to make sense. What the heck? How crazy could things be? Um, you've written a number of important articles, as usual, at stream.org. Which shall we talk about first? Well, I've got another column at the stream, which I hope people will read, which you were kind enough to share, called Why We Need to Talk About Satan. And I'll, I just want to read the first few lines to give you an, a flavor of it. Love me, love my fentanyl habit. If you're really a Christian, you'll accept and embrace my lifestyle, which includes playing Russian roulette. If your church really wants to reach out and offer the gospel to white racialists, you ought to allow us to wear our clan hoods and serve as greeters at your church. Now, maybe... Those claims bother people. I, maybe some of you will disagree with one or more of those spiritual reflections. I hope so. But that's the kind of logic that we're getting about LGBTQ, my name is Legion, the whole alphabet soup of perversions. That's what we're being told about the Christian church. That, okay, even if you agree with, I don't know, the whole Christian tradition and the Jewish tradition and scripture that these activities are wrong, you have to embrace and welcome the people and celebrate their sexual activities. Apply that, we're coming up to a break, but we're, we're being, that is the pressure, the incessant pressure. Okay. That article I shared, and it was retweeted a lot of times by a lot of people because it's a great article. When we come back, I will talk to John Smirak more about that and other articles. Again, these things are important, uh, and we hope you'll uh, pay attention, retweet them yourself, share them on social media, wherever you can. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, I return with John Zmirak. Uh, John, look. Your article, uh, all of your articles at stream.org are important, but the one you wrote about, what's the title exactly? I'm sorry. Why we need to talk about Satan. We need it's to talk about Satan. Very powerful article. And you are, uh, you're making the case. First of all, you're, you're making the case. This is, this goes way back. This goes back to when we were in college, you and I in the eighties, when people said, um, you know, I'm gay, and that's who I am, and you have to accept me for who I am. And you and I would say, "Wait a second, that's not who you are. That that you're 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 defining it that way. You're forcing me to accept something which is actually it's sinful behavior, according to my faith. But you're telling me, no, 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 I can't divorce the behavior." from the person you and I are saying that's not biblical. And in your article, that's a big part of what you're talking about. Right. I'm saying that we are 
salmon swimming upstream against an overwhelming current. That current is the world, the flesh, and the devil. That current is Caesar, Mammon, and Sodom. That current is the enemy. And what ultimately drives it is hell and is the enemy, is Satan. Churches that start hanging out the rainbow flag as if they were painting blood over the the, the doorposts at Passover so that the, the plague leaves them alone. Uh, churches that embrace sexual perversion and perversity and transgenderism, they are doing exactly what churches did when they accepted segregation in the Klan in the 1950s, exactly what they did when they accepted slavery in the 1850s, uh, and when they accepted the Nazi party in the 1930s in Germany, as in your book, Letter to the American Church. John, I, I just want to say, uh, in my book, Letter to the American Church, there is a place where I say just what you said, and a lot of my my speeches, my talks and sermons on Letter to the American Church, I make this case exactly that we always act as though, oh, back then they got it wrong. Why did the German churches hang out the Nazi flag when we now know that the Nazi is, Nazis are evil? Well, they didn't know it early on. They were confused. They were told, shut up and hang out the swastika or you're anti-German. And they said, okay, okay, we'll just do that. And people like Bonhoeffer said, no, no. This is wrong. Be careful. Don't do that. But a lot of people were, were, were just unwilling to be divisive and political. And so they just went with the flow. And that's exactly on the slavery issue. The same thing has happened over and over. And right now we are dealing with that now. And I, and I actually say it in my book, churches that are hanging out the rainbow flag um, or the BLM flag, what message are you sending? Is it possible is it possible you're getting this wrong? You and I would say emphatically they're getting it wrong, but I want to say uh, also gently, you need to think about it, folks. Taking the easy path, John keeps talking about salmon swimming upstream. Uh, you're not swimming upstream. Uh, you're a dead floating fish like floating a, upstream. You're a dead fish floating to the sea. Um, the message that the rainbow flag sends when you hang it outside a church, it's very clear and it's very biblical. It's we have no king but Caesar. That's it. That's in the Bible, right? Uh, yeah, if except, you, if, you, uh, if you said they're free, you are you no friend to Caesar. Also in the Bible. What is truth? Also in the Bible. There's a lot of biblical support for liberal Christianity, but it's all in the mouth of the enemies of God and of Satan himself. That's the only downside. Well, you know what, John? Um, there's a church on the upper uh, east side, a huge beautiful Catholic church, Catholic church. I say this because you're Catholic and because I was more shocked to see this. You see this, uh, you know, Unitarian churches, Methodist churches, whatever, Lutheran churches, they've all gone liberal. You see this kind of thing. But a Catholic church um, on, I guess it's Park, and I, it's, I think it's 82nd or eighty. Well, that's St. Ignatius Loyola. It's yes. a Jesuit okay. church. Not that a church <laughs> has... Uh, it has kind of like a revolving banner because they're a wealthy church, Park Avenue Church. It's got a revolving banner. One of the banners is a rainbow thing, and it says something about we include all or we welcome all or something. And I thought, look at how diabolical and confusing this is. They're saying we welcome all. Every church welcomes all. The murderer, the prostitute, you're welcome to come here 
and to be cleansed, to be forgiven for your sins. But of course, when it's a rainbow, they're basically giving a mixed message, at best, a mixed message that is confusing to people who do not suffer from same-sex attraction, who are trying to figure this out in the culture. And lots of churches, including now leading Catholic churches, are sending this mixed message. It, I think it's a clear message. It's like the swastika outside the church in Germany. It's like joining the patriotic church in China that's controlled by the Communist Party. It says, whatever the rich and powerful in society are for, we will go along with that because we want to have comfortable, easy lives. So we would have been segregationists in the 50s. We would have been pro-slavery in the 1850s. We, whatever Caesar says, whenever Caesar says jump, we will boldly respond, how high, sir? And again, I, all this was, was motivated by um, this seemingly well-meaning Christian lady making the argument that the church should welcome drag queens to the point of letting them dress in drag and be greeters and lectors in church. And if you don't do that— Greeters? Wait a minute. Uh, this So this is an evangelical Christian advocating— yeah, I mean, it's one thing, look, if somebody comes into a church, if, if a man dressed as a woman comes into church, I wouldn't chase them out right? Uh, because I don't want to humiliate them. I don't want to cause a scene. But if we cannot be clear uh, somehow that this is not okay. And, I, but- so I, and she happened to be black. So my response was, okay, somebody comes into the church in his clan robes. Do you let him be a greeter? Okay, so the, the, the woman who wrote this article saying that we should welcome uh, uh, people in drag coming into churches, you said is 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 a black woman, right. and you asked that question. So in you're saying the article, way. this the person is advocating letting them be greeters, not no. Yes, yes, letting them be active members of the church while dressed in the clothes of the opposite sex, which Saint Paul specifically says is a sin. And my answer to that is. Why not let someone dress up in clan robes or in Nazi uniform? And here, I need to do this analysis. And at this point, people will say, that's ridiculous. That's not the same thing. To which the proper response is, no, it's an analogy. If it were the same thing, it would be an equation. Now I'm glad we're working through our rhetorical tropes today. No, it's a comparison. It's an analogy. And it works perfectly because you are just jumping when Caesar says, to jump. So whatever Caesar says, and 10 years ago, it wasn't transgenderism, but NPR and Bruce Jenner and Vanity Fair decided transgenderism is the next hoop you have to jump through. What'll be the next one? Probably pedophilia, or maybe it'll be something else. Maybe it'll be, you just have to step on a crucifix. That's all we ask. You just have to step on the crucifix the way the Japanese made Christians do or be martyred. Um, what is behind this? We, and in my column at stream.org, why we need to talk about Satan, I say we have to talk about the principalities and powers, the malevolent, timeless spirits who are behind all this. We need to talk about Satan and spiritual warfare for two reasons. What we're facing is so overwhelming that it's tempting to give into it, just to make your life bearable. Uh, it's tempting to soft pedal the evil 
of the pansexual movement, the way it was tempting to soft pedal the evil of the Nazis when you were trying to get get along in Germany in the 30s. It's tempting to do that. And one way you can soft pedal it and still sound like a Christian is to say, hate the sin, love the sinner. But it precisely, that's not what you're doing. By embracing the person's sin, by letting the person sin in the church, by letting him come with his same-sex partner and go to communion together, by letting him dress in drag, you are embracing his sin. You are affirming his sin. You are acting just like Satan. Satan loves the sin and hates the sinner. We Wait, so in order to show hatred of the sin... We have to reject it. We have to reject the sinful activity. We can't embrace it in the person. You don't buy fentanyl for your nephew who's addicted to fentanyl. That is not showing love for your nephew. I, you know, John, we we really, we have to talk more about this because this is, the temptation is so strong among Christians who they go wobbly and they think they're doing it for for a good Christian reason. We're here, folks, to help you understand that that is not the case. Please try to hear what we're saying. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're talking to John Smirak. John, you're making a point that in some ways is very simple, and yet every generation has to face this afresh, uh, every culture. It's so easy for us. And again, I, 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 I try to make this clear in my book, Letter to the American Church. Every culture seems to think we're new and we're different, and we don't make the stupid mistakes that those fools in the past made, uh, You know, acting as though slavery or the slave trade, that's not a gospel-related issue. We're just going to stick to our gospel. Well, we look back at them, and we properly are horrified that they missed it. They got it wrong, and millions of people suffered horrors, suffered horrors because of Christians getting it wrong. Today, again, many good Christians are getting this wrong. And we want to help them to understand this is not just our opinion. We're not trying to be mean. We're trying to help you understand the biblical view of evil, the biblical view of sin. That's what John has done in this article at stream.org. It is very important. In the past, abolitionist Christians would show photographs of the backs of slaves from the scars from the whip marks. What we have today are the pictures of young girls, their scars from being mutilated from having their breasts cut off before the age of 15 by doctors who are making a profit and and whose bodies have been poisoned by big pharma companies that are making billions off this transgender, demonic, hysterical, insane lie. Um, So Satan loves the sin and hates the sinner. If when he gets us to affirm the sin, to equate the sinner with his sin, 
oh god if i don't love his fentanyl habit i don't love my nephew if i don't love his clan hood i don't love my my brother my brother is in the clan if i don't let him wear his clan hood at my child's first holy communion i'm not affirming him i'm not being a real christian that's what it is and just because you're affirming a sin that happens to be popular with harvard and NPR and the National Endowment for the Humanities. I mean, how likely is it, do you think, that mammon, that the secular world, just happens to be right about everything now? It was wrong about everything in 1930. It was wrong about everything in 1850. But it's but it's correct right now. It's so comfortably convenient that the comfortable thing happens to be the christian thing to do just in my lifetime what a wacky coincidence i tell you john i yesterday we had kevin mccullough talking about this issue and i just want to say genuinely i'm astonished that the medical establishment would go along with this in other words it's one thing to be greedy uh but the idea i mean if somebody said i identify as someone whose arms and legs aren't there, uh, and you go to a doctor and you say, unless you affirm me in that and amputate my arms and legs and let me be the person I believe I'm supposed to be, you're a bad doctor. And the doctor says, well, I can make a lot of money off of this. Sure, why not? Everybody knows that that doctor should be put in jail, should be put in jail at least. When 30 years ago, they revised the Hippocratic Oath to take out its prohibition of abortion, and they wrote a new Hippocratic Oath, a guy named Dr. Louis Lasagna. Louis Lasagna wrote a much tastier, carb-full Hippocratic Oath that doesn't ban abortion. When medical schools did that, they were telling you they'll do anything. Well, I mean, some part of me can understand that. In other words, part of me can understand, even though I disagree with it, but what we're talking about now, it's a level of malevolence and greed. I mean, the greed is astonishing. Do we really believe? I mean, I, I want to understand how it is within just a few years, we uh, and the medical establishment can utterly, utterly revise their view of effectively everything, of the human person, of the human body to countenance this. And then not just to countenance it, but to go along with it and to pump kids full of drugs, to do horrible, horrible, horrible surgeries to children. It seems like something out of a novel that would never, ever actually happen. Right, right. And- I call it the uh, the, um, the, the, the apocalyptic, not the unpublishable apocalyptic novel, like the kind of thing you, you, you write single spaced on a typewriter in a double wide trailer and you only sell at gun shows. Turns out the people who were writing those things in the nineties, they were just predicting the future. But John, seriously, like the doctors doing this, they're like the Nazi doctors. They were, well, we're just going along. We're just doing what we're, you know, we're, we're, e- frankly, even the Nazi doctors didn't do this. Only a handful of them, uh, I, a, a small hand, handful of them, but they were prosecuted at the Nuremberg trials they either went to prison or were hanged yeah. for what they did. Rightly and so. Doctors well, doing these things now are doing it wholesale, are doing it with the applause of the elites. They're making tons of money doing 
incredibly wicked things. It's just hard. It's hard for me to believe this is happening and there's not more of an outcry against this. It's really astonishing. I want to make an alternative history movie where the Nazis actually lose World War II. That was funny, John. We're going to end right there. We'll be back. More of John's Mirac. Uh, uh, don't go away. John Smirak. John, let's switch to something more cheerful, you yeah. know, for the audience. Maybe we could talk about ethnic cleansing. Yeah, this is another of these erratic, heart uplifting guideposts kind of articles that I that I write at stream.org. Uh, this one's called Is Your Progressive Neighbor Waiting to Ethnically Cleanse You and Your Family? So roll it around in your head. Um, if I have an idea for an icebreaker. If you need to get to know your neighbor, uh, especially if you know they're kind of left wing, you know, they've got a rainbow flag or they have that sign in the front yard. In this house, we believe we are superior to you and that you redneck should stay off our lawn. You know, those horrible signs that people have. Don't uh, break their window. Tempting though that is. Go there, ring the doorbell and talk to them. Or if you if you run a company and someone's applying for a job, you should ask them questions like this. I'm just kind of wondering, five years down the road, do you see your family and mine living side by side in the same nation state under the same kind of laws and with the same equal rights and liberties? Or, or this is an alternative, this could be true, are you planning on people like me and my family being driven out by angry mobs or imprisoned for thought crimes or impoverished and intimidated into fleeing to some other region or, or a foreign country? I'm just kind of curious what your long-term intentions are uh, towards me. Do you do you want to see us wiped out? And the reason I think it's important to think about this is if you go back, if well, there's a recent case of a Texas, an Army Ranger in Texas named Sergeant Daniel Perry. During the Black Lives Matter riots that were enabled and encouraged by liberal Democrat governments all across the country, um, a mob of Black Lives Matter rioters uh, were taking over the streets of Austin, Texas. Daniel Perry was driving an Uber, and he was trying to get people safely home from the riot. The rioters surrounded his car, were pounding on it and rocking it back and forth. Someone takes an AK-47, a military rifle, and points it at Sergeant Perry's head. At that point, and only at that point, Sergeant Perry shoots the guy pointing a gun at his face. Sergeant Perry was arrested and prosecuted for first-degree murder by the Soros-linked prosecutor in Austin, Texas, and was convicted by a jury full of Austin liberals who listen to NPR and donate money to you know classical symphonies. This is Texas. This is the most clear-cut case of self-defense imaginable. We are having to rely on Governor Greg Abbott to finally pardon this guy, or he will go to prison for shooting someone who pointed a gun in his face. 
and had an angry mob behind him. Uh, Back to Kyle Rittenhouse, Jake Gardner, case after case where obvious clear-cut self-defense, if you, we can't repeal the Second Amendment, but if you use a gun to defend yourself in any circumstance, if the if the criminals are leftist rioters, or if they're members of a, of a, of a sacred minority group, you will go to prison no matter how justified your actions. But if there are, if you're a member of that sacred minority minority group or what the the approved angry mob of leftists, then you can do whatever you want and you will not be prosecuted. Well, look, this is the so-called two-tier justice system, which is where we are right now, and you, you've likened it to. Uh... To the rise of the Nazis. My question, I don't know if you can answer this, but I always hear about Soros-backed prosecutors. Yeah. How has that happened? How well, has it happened that George Soros, this spectacularly evil human being, uh, whom I once saw sitting on a park bench in Central Park, I didn't murder him, by the way, but that's because I'm a Christian. Um, but I got to ask, how is it possible that these prosecutors could be all around the country destroying American justice backed by somebody like this do you can you understand this is there anything we can do about this i'm just fascinated well he throws money around and it's not illegal for someone to donate to local campaigns so he decided the way to create anarchy and chaos or rather anarcho tyranny the way to create anarcho tyranny in america is to take over local law enforcement so you don't have to change the federal law if you can corrupt the enforcement of the most basic laws by local district attorneys. So now you have a pro-crime DA in New York City who won't prosecute muggers unless they happen to wound or kill someone. They they get let loose. But he will try to veto Donald Trump's presidential race by getting him convicted as a felon. This, this jumped-up little prosecutor who can't even keep the murderers off the street in New York thinks he can veto a presidential election. That's going to make New Yorkers even more popular in the rest of the country. We think we can veto presidential elections. Well, I, is there any conceivable remedy to this? Uh, is there no federal remedy? Is there no senator who can do anything about this? The thing to do is when you hear that someone has been endorsed and funded by George Soros, yeah. the way, you know... A number of leading evangelicals took money from George Soros, like Jim Wallace and Russell Moore. Uh, their organizations were funded by Soros. When you hear that someone is funded by Soros, you know they are evil. That That is the mark of Cain. And of course, there will be people who say, that's anti-Semitic. To which you should respond, I didn't know George Soros was Jewish. I just knew he was a leftist. You are the anti-Semite by pointing out that he's Jewish. You're Listen, the one bringing ethnicity. Anybody saying it's anti-Semitic to, to criticize George Soros, you, you just walk away from that fool immediately. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's, you know, that's like the moment you make a point, somebody throws a label at you. Uh, that's Plus not George an Soros, What? Plus George Soros funds Palestinian terrorist groups that, that kill Israelis. So... Just well, throw look, right back. I just I I, I want to. Th- this brings us back to the to the divide uh, in the evangelical church uh, in particular. But the idea that people like Russell Moore uh, and uh, David French and many others have taken money from George Soros and seem to be on these bandwagons that we're talking about 
ladies and gentlemen, you need to stand against this. You don't subscribe to Christianity today. Uh, you've, you've got to understand where we are in the culture. These people are getting it so dramatically wrong that they're aiding and abetting the enemy. And, and I, and I don't mean, uh, I, I, I mean the enemy, Captain. You don't mean Vladimir right Putin back. or President Xi of China. Okay, talking to John Smirak. John, what else? This is tough stuff. Yeah. Well, we were talking about a narco tyranny. A narco tyranny is important. It's anarchy for me and tyranny for thee. When the Democrats said that riots burning down cities were mostly peaceful and shouldn't be prosecuted, but that little old ladies taking selfies at the Capitol on January 6th were insurrectionists who need to be in solitary confinement and rot in prison. Uh, that's a narco tyranny. And it is literally how the Nazis took over Germany. And I want to give people the details in case they forgot or in case they never heard this. Hitler came to power because the German establishment re realized they couldn't control his followers. And that about a third of the country backed Hitler and about a fourth of it was communist. And the, the, the Nazis had street thugs in control of most of the major cities. Now, how did that happen? Well, they formed the Brown Shirts, a paramilitary group that was bigger than the German army. The German army under the Treaty of Versailles was restricted to be tiny, tiny, tiny. And it was actually too small to fight the Nazis. If there'd been a civil war, the Nazis might have won. That's one problem. Uh, but here's how the Nazis got so big. They would dress up in their brown shirt uniforms and they would go down. They would be like Black Lives Matter or Antifa. And they would go beat up their political opponents, stop them from speaking on campus, stop them from making speeches, get in fist fights, crack people's heads. The police would dutifully come and break it up and arrest everyone. And the judges who sympathized with the Nazis would simply throw out the charges against the Nazis, but prosecute the Jews or socialists or Catholics who had been defending themselves. Exactly what the Democrats are doing now. You do that yes, enough. They did not have Soros appointed judges in Nazi Germany. How did how was it that the judges were all on board? Was it simply fear of the Nazis? What was No, that? no, no, no. It was hatred of communists. Hatred of communism and a feeling that these these Nazis, their heart was in the right place. They 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 were they were trying in their zeal. They were really overzealous, but they their heart was in the right place. It was exactly like the indulgence the Democrats have for Antifa and Black Lives Matter. They're, they may be too zealous, but they're, they're, our heart's in the right place. So we're not going to punish them. This was a mostly peaceful demonstration. It was an exact parallel. These judges let the Nazis walk the same way Democrat politicians let BLM and Antifa take over campuses. It was the exact same thing. What happened to Riley Gaines a real woman athlete who spoke out against transgender men taking over sports 
and she was besieged and, and, and mobbed and trapped and held hostage for hours at a campus when Charlie Kirk tried to have her speak there. The university has thanked the protesters. They have thanked the rioters. And they have said, we need to heal from the trauma of this woman even trying to speak at our university. Exactly like the Nazis, affirming the thugs, fighting against free speech. Don't call the Democrats communists. They don't care. Call them Nazis because that's the playbook they're following. I want to I end on a positive note, and I want to simply say this, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, John and I advocate fighting back. I'm not talking about with fists, but the point is, if you don't do what you can do, when you hear this litany of horrors down the line and you do nothing or you say it's not worth doing anything, we've already lost, you are part of the problem. You are serving the devil. I want to exhort everyone, you need to take these things seriously, whatever it is that you're called to do. There are a million things you can do. You need to do those things, do them with joy and with hope, and let God do the rest. But do not allow these things to happen without fighting back, without speaking the truth when you get the opportunity. We're out of time. John Smirak, thanks for being my guest. God bless you. Thank you. You too. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. In a minute, we're going to bring you the rest of our conversation with Elon Musk. We showed you some last night. Tonight, his views on the state of the American economy. That's a topic that many Americans are concerned about, and you can see why. As of tonight, inflation persists. The commercial real estate sector seems to be teetering. The U.S. dollar continues to lose its value. So key economic indicators are, as they say on the market shows, worrisome. But on a more fundamental level, there are also danger signs. When young people are told by their leaders that work is a scam and that stealing things from other people is a human right, how do you think your economy is going to look in 10 years? How about your civilization? The answer depends in part on just how much idleness and theft you put up with. Any society that cannot declare unequivocally and with confidence that stealing is wrong has no future. When you let the mob loot, you are doomed. This is why we used to shoot looters, not because we hated them, it wasn't personal, but in order to defend the foundation of all that we have, which is private property secured by law. Without that, we would be living in savagery and chaos. In Chicago, they already are. This is what America's second largest city looked like this weekend. There's no point to that. Nobody's benefiting. What you're seeing instead is civilization unraveling, unrestrained violence and destruction effectively unchallenged by government authorities, the mindless breaking of things, the rage of stupid children. If you let that continue, there will be nothing left standing. Most people don't need to be told that. It's so obvious. It's intuitive. Would you let your kids set fire to the living room? Probably not. But the new mayor of Chicago, who is an ideologue and a racist, understands that these stupid children are his militia. When they destroy what others built, he becomes more powerful. Their destruction has a political use, and so he refuses to criticize them. They're stealing because they're hungry, he told us. 
like these were the widows of Richmond during the bread riots. Watch his explanation. Is that the answer? To loot because it's a form of reparations? To loot because they, that's how they can eat? The real answer is, how do we make sure, the question is, how do we make sure that people can eat? Look, no one is gonna condone um, you know, behavior that, that quite frankly speaks to a level of desperation. So you're not, you're not condoning out, looting? I, I'm saying that people are acting out of desperation. We don't want a society that is acting out of desperation, but you have to pay attention to the cries that people have. By so you're, you're not that, condoning looting? Th there's no way to, to, to embrace that. What I'm saying is you can't condone the looting that corporations continue to do every single day when they take tax dollars from black, brown, white folks all over the city of Chicago so that they can turn a profit. <laughs> yes, they're trying to eat. Because starvation is a pressing problem in Chicago, but it's not. Obesity is a pressing problem in Chicago. About a quarter of Chicago high school students are overweight. They join the overwhelming majority of their parents. Obesity is the problem. The shortage isn't of food. And as if to prove the point, the same mob the mayor just defended reportedly tried to break into the Art Institute of Chicago. There was no bread in that museum, only Chagall's and de Kooning's. So these were not people who were trying to feed themselves. These were people who were trying to destroy civilization, destroy a museum, a symbol of our evolution. We shouldn't lie about this. It's very obvious. And if you let it continue, you're done. But Chicago's leaders are lying about it for political reasons. This makes them more powerful. Destroying things that other people built, that previous generations created, makes this new generation of vandals who add nothing more powerful. That's the whole point. A state senator from Illinois called Robert Peters called the riots, quote, a mass protest against poverty and segregation. Right. Chicago's outgoing mayor, the destroyer, Lori Lightfoot, agreed. Watch. The vast majority of the young people came downtown, came downtown because it was a great um, weather and an opportunity to enjoy the city. That's absolutely entirely appropriate. Um, there are a few that came with different intentions, and they have, they have and they will be dealt with. Um, but I'm not going to uh, use your language, which I think is um, wrong, uh, to say that it's Maine. Right. So you can bet that none of these destroyers will be hunted down like animals, like the protesters on January 6th have been for over three years. Their lives won't be destroyed. Their families won't be hounded. They won't be banned from Airbnb. And yet, of course, what they did is far more destructive to our society than anything you saw in Washington in January of 2021. Their behavior is encouraged. So what happens if we, you encourage this kind of behavior, if you cheer the mob rather than restraining the mob? Well, ugly and totally inevitable things will happen. Productive people will flee, innocents will die, and ultimately you will get from this mob racial attacks. All of that is happening in Chicago right now. All of it. Watch this woman surrounded and beaten this weekend because of her skin color. So that footage was shared widely on social media. We didn't have to hunt it down. It came with the caption, you may have seen it, yay, we get active. So this was racist mob violence. And we should not be surprised by that. This is what 
mobs do. The hive mind takes over, the lowest instincts take over, and people who are different get hurt, often killed. This is widely known and has been for a long time. Just last year, in fact, Joe Biden signed the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act that made what you just saw specifically a felony. And he signed that to much fanfare. And yet, and this is the key, no one at his Department of Justice is investigating that video or anything that happened in Chicago over the weekend because they support it. Democrats approve of racial violence. They are stoking it everywhere. No, it's not your imagination. They want race, hate, and violence. Today, Joe Biden released a statement about a young man called Ralph Yarl, a teenager, a black teenager who was shot after showing up to an elderly man's house in Kansas City. We don't know the details of this. There is much we don't know. And of course, we feel for anyone who was shot, including this teenager. But the White House didn't pause for a moment before drawing conclusions from this sad encounter and using those conclusions to further divide the country on the basis of race. The president said, and we're quoting, no parents should have to worry that their kid will be shot after ringing the wrong doorbell. Well, that's demonstrably true. But of course, the president is saying this in order to further divide the country along racial lines and to tell a story that is in fact not supported by the facts, which is that black teenagers are murdered by elderly white people just for showing up on their doorsteps. Ralph Yarrell, thank heaven, did not die from his injuries. He was just released from the hospital. But these kinds of mistakes do happen, and they're always sad, assuming this was a mistake. Again, we don't know all the details. This same weekend, a 20-year-old woman called Caitlin Gillis was shot and killed after her friend turned into the wrong driveway in upstate New York. A man shot her dead in the passenger seat. But there was no statement from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris about this, of course, because Caitlin Gillis was white, and therefore her death could not be used to further incite racial conflict that benefits the Democratic Party. Now, if you think that we're not giving our leaders enough credit, if you're wondering, could they really be that cynical and destructive? Unfortunately, they not only could be, but they are. And the effects, of course, are destructive, always and everywhere. Over the weekend in Compton, California, needless to say, a Democratic Party stronghold, it's not hard to imagine a future in which there are no more gas stations. Because in California, mobs apparently can just walk into a store, including a gas station, and destroy the place, smash the windows, and take what they want. We know that because it happened on Sunday in Compton. Now, this mob was not starving. No, they didn't steal food. They stole beer, condoms, and cigarettes. Oh, it looks third world, you hear people say. But that's not accurate. Very few third world countries would put up with that for a minute. El Salvador is far safer than Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, criminals control the stores and the streets because there aren't enough police to respond. And of course, they know that perfectly well. And that's why the people who looted that store then did burnouts in the street while the store was being looted. Watch this. That's a public street. That's not a parking lot in a rural area. That's Los Angeles. You can't live in a country like that. No normal person can live in a chaotic, dangerous country like that. And so the normal productive people will leave. They absolutely will leave. And not just Los Angeles, not just Chicago, all over the country in the cities controlled by the Democratic Party. In New York, a man with 11 prior arrests just bludgeoned a female police officer with a bottle in the middle of the day. You're seeing the attack on your screen right now. 
And the sad news is a lot of these attacks, and you see them online if you pay attention, are racial. And that's the last thing you want. You definitely don't want people hurting each other because they're of different races, not in a country like this. Not in any country, but especially not here. This is not what we were promised, and yet it's what we're getting. As if to underscore that point, the rioting this weekend in Chicago began in a place called Millennium Park. If that sounds familiar and you're not from the city, that's because Millennium Park, Grant Park is part of it, is the same place where Barack Obama gave his famous 2008 victory speech in which he promised a better future. Listen. It's been a long time coming, but tonight, because of what we did on this day, in this election, at this defining moment, change has come to America. Change has come to America. Barack Obama was more prophetic than we knew. That was just 15 years ago. But today we're seeing the change that Barack Obama brought to America. This is what it looks like. Subscribe to the Fox News YouTube channel to catch our nightly opens. Stories that are changing the world and changing your life. I'm Tucker Carlson tonight.